Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thank you very much. Welcome along to the Slacktivist Action Group. The Conservative Manifesto has been launched and they obviously accuse Labour of going back into the past and then we have a look at their election manifesto and in there is a death tax, also bringing back grammar schools and also bringing back fox hunting. Now, we've had this debate before. We had a government inquiry, didn't we, which said fox hunting was an inefficient form of pest control, which probably has not come as too much of a shock to us. When you've got a mouse in your house, you put down a bit of poison, don't you? You don't get dressed up in your Sunday best, get pissed off your tits and chase after it with a pack of cats. (laughs) Theresa May has said that when it comes to grammar schools, it'll be different this time around because you will not be judged a failure aged 11 because there'll be another chance to get in age 14, another chance to get in age 16. So it seems you can now be judged a failure three times over (laughs) and quite possibly again aged 18 when you apply to maybe go to university. And if you get turned down from university these days, oh, it hurts that much more, doesn't it? I'm terribly sorry... Your exam results were so shit, we're not even going to let you give us 30 grand. (laughs) That will hurt, won't it? And 80% of teachers are against grammar schools, and this is winding them up. But as we know, it is actually very easy to wind up a teacher, isn't it? All you've got to do to wind up a teacher is go, ooh, you've got long holidays. And then if you follow that up with, and you finish at 3.30, oh, they're livid, aren't they? I've got me marking. I've got me marking. I was thinking, wouldn't it have been brilliant if we'd known how easy it was to wind up teachers when we were at school? You know, the teachers there going, oh, you're not working very hard. I'm not working very hard. Look at your long holidays. And you finish at 3.30, you're virtually part-time. You are. I've got me marking. (laughs) And the accusation is that Labour's manifesto is taking us back to the 1970s. But psychologists reckon that actually Britain as a nation was actually happiest in the 1970s, which is somewhat counterintuitive, isn't it? We tend to think of the 1970s as all blackouts, strikes fights between mods and rockers on bank holiday Mondays. But at least they were getting outside in the fresh air and getting some exercise. 
And of course, we could still enjoy I'm a leader without any negative connotation. <laughs> but now we have this election coming up when Theresa May has decided to stand on strong and stable leadership. Now, the previous Conservative slogan, that was long-term economic plan, wasn't it? It didn't work out terribly well, that, did it? I don't remember the 2015 Conservative manifesto saying our long-term economic plan is to have an economic plan for a year and then we'll hold a referendum that we think we're going to win, but we won't. We'll say we'll definitely stay in the single market, but we won't. We'll say we'll actually cut immigration to tens of thousands, but we won't. The Prime Minister will then resign. The Chancellor the Exchequer will then get sacked. The Justice Secretary will then stab the future Foreign Secretary in the back and the Home Secretary, who nobody rates, will then become the unelected Prime Minister who will repeatedly say we won't have an early election but will then hold an early election under the banner of strong and stable leadership, although she was the third most powerful member of the previous government, which was so obviously weak, unstable and copiously full of shit. (laughs) Go figure. Go figure. And she is going to win in a landslide, ladies and gentlemen. That's what they say. The world, it seems, has gone mad. We will now find out, or hopefully some people, who will throw some light on this. Would you please welcome our three guests tonight? Danny Finkelstein, Jane Martinson and Ed Byrne. Thank you for coming along. We try and bond early doors with the group by... We make a confession where we're, we're feeling there's something in an ideal world that we would actually like to be less slack about. So, Ed, maybe if you could start us off with something in an ideal world you would be less slack about. Um, I, I think the thing I am at the moment too slack about is uh, the spoiling of my own children. Um, I do spoil them, and I shouldn't, and I'm turning them into people I hate, which... <laughs> This is not a nice thing to do to your own children, to make, you make yourself hate them. Does that mean like, that you'll, then the more you hate them, the less you'll spoil them, therefore the better they'll be, then you can afford know, to spoil them again? because no, then I hate them so much I feel guilty for how much I hate them, so I start being even nicer to them than I want to be. <laughs> uh, and it is. I, 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 an example of this, of how spoiled my children are, we have a trampoline in our garden that is bigger than my first flat. It's... <laughs> The biggest trampoline I have ever seen. And I sound like I am boasting. I'm not. I'm ashamed of how big our trampoline is. And that's a fact. And they'll get on this monstrosity, and they'll bounce for about a minute, and then they'll lie down and go, Daddy, bounce us. (laughs) And I hate them. And I want to go, Daddy didn't even have a trampoline when he was your age. Daddy's trampoline was his bed. And he broke it. And he spent a year sleeping in a satellite dish. But they're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they are one of the, uh, aren't they, the most dangerous of toys you can give your kids. There are, there are more visits to A&E based on kids' trampolines than anything else, which is why it was quite interesting that John Lewis in their advert was suggesting you buy one and put it up on Christmas Day when it's icy, as if, <laughs> just to guarantee you spending Boxing Day in hospital. Yes, they are what the pogo stick was in the 70s, the trampoline is now in the modern day. And that if you bring a child in with a broken limb, the nurse just looks and goes trampoline like that's <laughs> Big so, but one. they gotta learn <laughs> so jane what would you what would you like to offer to the group well mine are all around the issue of sort of it and health so i'm constantly i feel like inside my mind is constantly saying you are just too slack about this so i'm constantly sort of you know my it i've never ever managed to get 
all the pictures that I've taken on the various phones online into albums and folders and my oldest is now 15 and then all these like <laughs> thousands and millions millions because obviously I take at least 50 photos of one shot now and think I'll edit it and don't and then find myself putting it in the iCloud because that's enormous and can never be edited and I, I literally lie awake sometimes at night thinking the iCloud is going to die <laughs> and I will never have any photos so I feel really a sort of constant sense of oh, slack it'll be, stress. It'll be hacked and your, you know, your kid's childhood will be compromised for many years. <laughs> but you're, you're far better organised than I am. I still have phones that I'm not even <laughs> sure I've still got the leads for with photos at some stage I'm hoping to get off them. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you have that sort of cupboard at home? I now have a cupboard which really smells of sort of IT dampness. Which has got leads and boxes and just old bits of Blackberry chargey things. Little black things and silver things. I don't know where they go. If it smells of dampness, the chances of you getting that to work (laughs) sounds sounds slim. What about you, Danny? What would you like to offer? Yeah, I think the thing that I'm slack about is saying no. It's like really ironic because my entire politics basically is about saying no. But in my personal life, I find that completely impossible to say no to anybody. And it was fine, you know, when, there's, when you're sort of busy and there's not enough, you know, people aren't asking you to do things, then you can say, you don't need to say no. But if you end up sort of getting lots of invitations and you can never say no to any of them, you end up not answering at all and then you're very impolite. So well, saying no, I think. That's, that's, a, that's a great thing to admit to in the sense now that anybody listening to this is now going to be going, oh, Danny, you'll definitely do it. <laughs> I heard him. We've I got a charity him. auction we'd like you to donate some shirts to, please. <laughs> and that is basically what happens. So the answer is always yes. Uh, there are basically two things. Either you say yes or you do something worse than that, which is you don't answer. Or you answer, but you can't actually deliver what you said you would do. So actually saying uh, no would be kinder but um, it would be uh, kinder but I can't remember to do it basically at the moment you, you say your um, your politics is about saying no you obviously write for the times which is now behind a paywall in the past I've very much always enjoyed the first paragraph of your articles <laughs> before it's fade, faded out it's actually the best bit <laughs> although the great the great thing people basically they read the first paragraph they can't pay for the rest of it or they say I won't pay for it because it's owned by Rupert Murdoch which is the other one and then, they, and then ba- basically they give you an opinion based on reading that paragraph and tell you what was in the rest of it somebody the other day said that somebody suggested you should read Danny Finkelstein's column and the person replied I won't read it it's twaddle <laughs> it was really brilliant they hadn't read it and they weren't going to but they were sure is there pressure on you though to make that first paragraph really enticing so as people then think oh, I need to subscribe to this it's like a whodunit what is Danny going to say in paragraph two <laughs> yeah but you do get immense misunderstandings based on people just reading the first paragraph obviously we have this election coming up you yourself stood for the election I believe 2001 in Harrow for the Conservatives you wrote this article recently saying how spoiled ballot papers aren't necessarily yeah. spoiled that they can actually count as a vote that if the returning yeah. officer comes to you, shows you, and if the, the abuse that you've received yeah, so happens to be within the box itself, <laughs> that can count People as start, a vote honestly for you. I had a vote where someone wrote Tosser, but they wrote it yeah. through my box, so that counts as a vote for me. I've actually... <laughs> <laughs> it really did. I've, I've, run, I've run for Parliament twice. Once I, was, once I was only 24 years old. I ran against Ken Livingston for the SDP. Uh, and I was so young, and I've got a letter at home from the Citizens Advice Bureau, and it said, Dear Mr Finkelstein, it was so nice to meet you, comma, and your mother. <laughs> I've changed my mind. I'm less concerned about my kids. I now feel I should be less slack about spoiling my votes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
but people do. But you do at least, you know, if you do write something rude on a ballot paper, providing you don't put it in their box, the candidate will see it. That is a bit of reassurance. Lovely. The 2001 election, which you were standing for, um, you've compared the Conservatives then to Labour now in the sense that in terms of trying to reorganise the party, it actually wasn't as easy as people think. When it comes to Corbyn, those sort of Corbyn-supporting politicians are more likely to keep their seats. They tend to be in safer seats. Therefore, it could be that Corbyn losing in a landslide could counterintuitively actually increase his power in the party. Well, you lose the marginal seats, and the marginal seats tend to be in places where, uh, for example, the Conservatives weren't well represented in cities. And when we lost a load of seats in 1997 it was all in suburban areas and cities and so therefore the people that remained were committed to the sort of policies that can win you uh, support in countryside areas where the Conservative Party already had support and you lose the moderate voice and so that is definitely a problem if Labour did lose that sort of number of seats and we don't know whether it will it would mean that the marginal seat voice which is important in terms of moderating the party loses disproportionately uh, to the core vote group. And you were saying that you were involved in the 2001 election, <coughs> that you go to bed at midnight and get up at five and you repeat that for many weeks in the lead up to the election. Now, yeah. obviously, you can't operate at that sort of level at any given time. Mistakes will be made you if do you're, you are doing that. <coughs> do you think that if everybody had a good night's kip that maybe... William Hague wouldn't have said he'd drunk 14 pints yeah. a night or worn a baseball cap or what have you. Yeah, in fact, I was talking to, to somebody today about the Thatcher election campaigns and he said he just simply didn't get enough sleep. The worst thing was in the 1997 election campaign, because Tony Blair wouldn't debate against uh, John Major, we decided that it would be a good idea to send a chicken round the country uh, pursuing Tony Blair to point out that he wasn't debating. And of course, it wasn't a real chicken. It was an out-of-work actor in a chicken suit. But the problem was the more he saw of Tony Blair, the more impressed he was by him. <laughs> so, eventually I got a call from central office saying Danny we're really really worried that um, the chicken's going to defect to the Labour Party <laughs> and my job I promise you this is absolutely true my job for the rest of the campaign was to have lunch with the chicken in the staff canteen <laughs> to prevent him from defecting but did it, it work? Was, it was, did it work? It worked, well yeah uh, the way I, we lost in a landslide but the chicken didn't cross the road <laughs> I'm curious what, what do you eat when you take a chicken for lunch? <laughs> You need to be very careful whether about ordering the omelette. <laughs> we, we actually, read, we actually, I know what we ate in fact because it was sausages. And the reason I know that is because it create the sausages created an incredibly unprofessional but very strong sausage smell. And so, in the middle of the Conservatives' largest landslide defeat of 150 years, our main concern was how to employ an extractor fan in order to remove the sausage smell from the middle of central office. <laughs> Talk, talking of Tony Blair, though, you, you were also you writing recently that you obviously voted Remain and there's a hope amongst Remainers that some of the Leave voters will... I mean, Tony Blair likes to say that uh, they voted with imperfect knowledge that they may, well, rue it, says the man who obviously still believes that going to war with Iraq was a good idea, although we've yet to find weapons of mass destruction or what have you. But your, your theory is that actually just in the, the act of voting leave makes people a stronger leave voter course, yeah. and the chance of leave voters changing their mind, it's a fool's paradise. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, well, you know, I've, I was trying to work out why it was that people who voted for Tony Blair in the 1997 election, on the basis that he would match Tory spending, immediately after the election, Tony 
Blair said, people have voted for me so that I'll increase NHS spending. And in fact, he'd actually explicitly said he wasn't going to do that. And the Conservatives all thought, well, you know, when he says that, everyone will go, oh, you lied to us. In fact, people were delighted. Uh, and part of the reason was that the act of voting Labour had made them more willing to accept Labour's agenda because that's who they now were. They'd actually signed up on a piece of paper. You know, it, it was, um, this isn't, you know, a reasonable comparison in a way, but uh, one of the ways that Chinese uh, get used to get confessions from prisoners was to make them write down their confession. If you actually um, put a cross in a ballot paper, it's a, it's a very concrete thing that you do. So when people vote leave, even if they were quite marginal leave voters, they become more committed to that. Uh, position by doing that. And so expecting them to change their mind easily is expecting something that human beings don't do. And that is... So if you've dressed up as a chicken, you're more keen to dress up as a chicken <laughs> next time. That, exactly. That sort, of, that sort of theory. And Jane, for The, for the Guardian, you, you looked at last week that the fact in the run-up to Brexit, immigration in terms of the papers was presented on the whole very negatively. Theresa May is now committed to this tens of thousands figure but we've got a point system for people outside the eu surely if we just increase that for everybody you know people seem to be slightly against let's say plumbers or whether it's fruit pickers coming into this country but people seem to be more keen on scientists or center forwards or tennis players or or whatever it may be i'm not sure though i don't think people are that anti-plumbers and fruit pickers are they that's but i think part of the problem is immigration thing is that people sort of go if you say do you actually like these you know the increase of plumbers i think actually quite a lot of people say yeah that's that's been a really good thing or the fact that you get the fruit growers association almost immediately on june the 24th going oh hang on a minute we've got quite a lot of people that we really need i don't think there's any specific group despite all the stuff that you read i think it's this sense of all immigration they're coming in they're using all our public services and it doesn't, this whole idea of point system, and there I think the media has been really influential. I mean, you can talk for the rest of the night about how influential the papers are on a vote, because obviously everyone has lots of different ways of making their minds up. But where you get things like the front page of the Daily Mail with a big picture saying, let us in, we're from Europe, and actually the video, if you click on it online, has these men, women and kids saying, we're from Syria... That's a bit of a confusing picture, isn't it? If you're just going to look at the front page as you go past, even if you're not a Daily Mail reader. The worry they were saying about the point system was is that the people can cheat the system. But, I mean, in some ways, that surely shows some ingenuity. And <laughs> should, shouldn't that count a few points itself if you can actually manage... <laughs> Yeah, I think probably quite a lot of points. It's like the sort of, you know, there was the outrage over the Dubs children. So there was supposed to be 350 children brought in. And then all the papers, it was all very exciting. You know, eventually, after months and months and months, these kids sort of being kept possibly longer um, in these Calais camps. Eventually, they were allowed over and they arrived at um, in Croydon and there were all the sort of Fleet Street newspaper journalists and um, photographers. And uh, there were a few who didn't look like fresh-faced babies bouncing up and down on trampolines because they had just travelled for many, many weeks in really disgusting, hazardous conditions and looked, some of them, not like six-year-olds. Ed, you, you obviously, there was a lot of, um, after the referendum result, a lot of people scrabbling around desperate to try and get themselves an Irish passport. You, you're, in, you're in quite I, a strong position yeah. with that one. I've already got one of those, yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, I, I just went to New Zealand and for the first time had that thing of 
my passport isn't one of the ones that gets you through the electronic gates in New Zealand. It's just UK, Canada, Australia, USA, and that's it. No. Yeah, they pick and choose who gets to go through the electronic gate. Well, that's I was most offended. I didn't even think. And I did this, this is how long I've been living here. I saw the, the UK flag. I saw the Union flag. I went, well, that's, that's all right. That's me. That's, that's where I live. Well, and I'm, I went and my Irish passport and you woman to look I, at me like I I'm read a review of, of something you'd done recently in <laughs> yeah. The Guardian and you yeah. were described as British. So uh, yeah. I, I'm, oh, sure, I'm sure the head of... Gu- Guardian's head, Gu- Guardian's head of media would like to apologise for that, I'm sure. Yeah. They did, they I did, think the they, apology has been made. They did, uh, they did print an apology in, in their omissions and errors section. But it was, as Dara pointed out on Twitter, uh, it, what was interesting is that in the same sentence they had... Uh, accused us of uh, <laughs> cultural imperialism whilst at the same time subsuming Ireland back into Britain. Because it, 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 it was quite a... We like to save space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as an EU national living on the Hertfordshire-Essex border, yeah. are, are, are you feeling loved, Ed, or are you, are you feeling like a man that we voted to, to fuck off home? No... <laughs> I get quite offended when people don't consider me an immigrant. Actually, get, that's a weird thing. I get, I get that argumentative thing where when people start giving out about the immigrants and stuff, and I go, "Well, I'm an immigrant." No, nah, you're not an immigrant. Right? You're one of us. That's it's getting what they're doing again. That's the cultural imperialism thing again. The fact is, Ireland and England, Ireland and Britain have a, a separate agreement, as, as you know, that's separate from Schengen and separate from the EU, where we have a free movement anyway. But that's now being, you know, that's now in jeopardy. Because of, of you guys leaving the... You guys. Yeah. Yeah. See, suddenly, suddenly I'm on the other side. <laughs> these, these bloody immigrants yeah. coming over here telling uh, us out. When I'm trying to get in New Zealand, I'm British. <laughs> <laughs> George Osborne was in... Um, Danny was in the, the Evening Standard last week criticising um, the policy of the tens of thousands. There, there was a quote some time ago from The Spectator, what Danny, Danny writes today, George thinks tomorrow. Now, if George was writing it last week, it's something you've been thinking for some time? Or? <laughs> well, he's always been an immigration liberal, uh, and he's always thought that the tens of thousands target wouldn't work. Um, I actually share his doubts about whether the tens of thousands target will work or is the right number. Um, I've not, I think his position on immigration is not realistic politically. So I think that, you know, I understand it. I'm a son of two refugees myself. Uh, my own instincts, I couldn't really care how many immigrants there are in the country. I think it's fine. Um, but, the, but you've got to recognise public opinion on this subject. And I think it's unrealistic particularly for a Conservative politician, but you know, for anybody really, and I think Labour's also finding this, it's unrealistic not to recognise that and try to do something to accommodate and respect that view. From your point of view, you've been criticised in the past that you were possibly compromising your journalist credentials mm. by being too close to politics. Mm. It must have been fairly interesting for you recently seeing George Osborne criticised uh, yeah. about his political credentials well, for becoming too, too the, close to journalists. Yeah, my view is that you, you gain something and you lose something. I've always been very clear about what my politics is and what my political involvement is, and readers who read me know it. And they gain something, which is some insight into a particular type of politics and a particular 
you know, sort of insider view, um, and they'll lose something you wouldn't look to me to have a completely neutral view. And if you read me, you know that. So, and I think it's interesting. There is a lot of crossover. So, I always thought that George would be a very good editor of the Evening Standard, which I think so far he certainly has been, uh, because he had a sort of instinct about how newspapers works, and that was he was very interested in that. So, there's a lot of overlap between those worlds. And he's having, he's having quite a laugh at the moment, though, isn't he? He, was, he, was, he must have enjoyed himself today calling yeah. it a U-turn. Um, you know, Theresa May had said that this, uh, the, the social care thing, she was just clarifying the policy. He said, oh, no, that's a U-turn. He'll be calling it an omni-shambles next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's very interesting because, I, I, you know, I can't so much criticise what uh, when people make big mistakes on, on any side, Labour or the Conservatives, because you just do make them. And anybody who um, my mum always used to say, you know, the person who, who washes the dishes is the person who breaks the cups. So if you make big political decisions, you just will make mistakes. And I think Theresa May's team thought that George made mistakes just because he was careless, and now they've made pretty much a similar mistake, which is... After uh, only four days. Well, it's, it's not. It's not done. Obviously, they've been in for a while, but, yeah. it, it, you know, it, you, you put out there things that you then think, my goodness, I hadn't really thought through the public reaction to that, and then you have to row back from it. Uh, and the difference is whether or not you say, oh, yes, I did break the cups, but I'm the one doing the dishes, rather than saying, I didn't break the cups... I am merely uh, yeah. re-examining the cup formation. <laughs> I know. Well, really experimenting are... with another way of using cups in a fragmented form. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, I do actually, I, cause I, because I think an awful lot of Theresa May's um, appeal to, the, you know, to people is because they think she's straightforward. I think she's got to be very careful not, you know, that she doesn't lose that in time uh, in order to protect not making a U-turn. I think people will respect the fact that you do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's suboptimal, <laughs> uh, let's put it that way, to come out with a, with a, with a scheme. It's suboptimal to come out with a scheme that you can't defend after a few days. And I preferred the one that she had before to the one that she's got now. But nevertheless, you, you know, you've you make mistakes, and I think it's better just to say, well, look, we, we listened to public reaction and we've moved it, rather than try and say you haven't moved. I've always thought that the, the yelling of U-turn is a, is a very counterproductive thing. Like, I, people, if somebody has decided to do something that's a bad idea, and they realise it's a bad idea, and they change their mind about it, yeah. we, sh- we ought to respect that. Otherwise, people will continue down the road of bad ideas. If, if you're yeah. very yeah. clumsy and you know, you've agreed to do the washing up, and then you suddenly say, I don't think I should be doing the washing yeah. up, I was thinking more in terms of we're heading for that iceberg. Yeah. You know, well, you better turn then. No, no, I'm, I'm into strong and stable leadership of this boat. I know. Because if, if I swerve to miss this iceberg, everyone will think I'm some sort of pussy weak captain who doesn't, you know, so... That's, that's generally my view, and I press it usually. But, I, you know, obviously, if you're running a election campaign, you're saying you're strong and stable, you've got to be careful that you appear that. But also, that doesn't fit into a headline, whereas you turn... No, that's a long headline, perfect. yeah. Perfect for a headline. Yeah. Particularly for a woman who cannot do anything without being compared, obviously, to our only other female Prime Minister, who was never for turning. So it's going to be used a lot, because if she gets elected, obviously, on June the 8th. Yeah. Um, well, you've, you've been having to watch the, the TV debates for The Guardian. Having to watch. Yeah. So the leader, I did that well, after last Thursday, that was having to watch, definitely. Yeah. You know, the, the five other leaders were on. Um, I believe uh, Tim Farron and Nicola Sturgeon... They've got another one on June the 4th. Paul Nuttall, I don't think, does have another one, but it probably says on his website that he will. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, there was there was so much to say about that um, that performance. I mean, I obviously I'm very much hoping that one of you is going to call me Natalie at some <laughs> point tonight because I am a woman, and obviously there's only one name that you can keep in your head for me, but it's not. It's Jane. Um, I mean, you know, the amazing thing in a way is that UKIP. You know, Nigel Farage made an enormous, enormous fuss to get onto those leaders' debates um, in 2015. But now you have a party which has sort of plummeted in the polls. There's, there's not, they don't even have one MP. They do have support in the country, but they're sort of, when they're coming up doing this dog whistle, that is exactly what it is. It feels like they're, they're sort of more extreme statements that he's coming up with. He's sort of just trying to shift... The debate, as opposed to, say, necessarily elect me. I mean, the I, extraordinary thing about Paul Nuttall is, do you remember that when there were all these different people who became leader of UKIP, between, including Nigel Farage and Solstice? One was, what, Diane James was 18 days she lasted after <coughs> Nigel Farage kissed her. And people it? kept on going, you know, well, just wait for Paul Nuttall, he's the really good one. It's like, how bad? He's <laughs> like, he is definitely one of the worst politicians I've ever seen. He's quite comically terrible. Really. But tomorrow night, we've got Paul Nuttall against Andrew Neil for a whole hour. A whole hour. I mean, the whistle pitch is going to be so loud. That's going to be a blood sport in itself, <laughs> isn't it? Without going very route one, and I'm genuinely not even trying to be funny here, but do you not think that Donald Trump, I mean this sincerely, has shown that it doesn't matter how terrible you are as a politician you can still get elected if people just like you. You know what I mean? It's like, he, he, what he has done, he has lied publicly, he has been, done verifiable, obvious mistruths, and people just don't care. Political gravity just doesn't apply to him. And do you not think that somebody like Paul Nuttall, well, no matter how awful he is, if, yeah. if people like the guy, no, they'll they just go... Useless. I mean, the thing about Donald Trump, well, I think he's useless, and that is death. The thing about Donald Trump, I, I really got an insight into him. On eBay, it's possible to buy Trump the fragrance, smell of success is the uh, right. That is what it says. And um, and I, when I read that, I realised that the thing about Donald Trump that, that I didn't appreciate enough is how much of a star he was. That people wanted to be Donald Trump. They wanted to live in Donald Trump's house or in his hotel. Uh, they wanted to wear his shirt and wear mm. his tie. Um, they wanted to use his fragrance. Um, or, and you smell wouldn't like to smell like Paul Nuttall? And they is that what you're saying? Smell of, exactly. Who would want to smell of Paul Nuttall? Basically, is, that's exactly. I mean, Trump is also, he is the first reality TV leader. And, I mean, Paul Nuttall couldn't even pull off that TV leaders debate. I mean, that's the difference. Isn't I it? realise, yes, Trump built a cult of personality before he entered politics. But my, my, my point that... It doesn't matter how bad you are as a politician. If people like you, you can still get elected. Yeah. I think if, if mm. Nuttall uh, projected enough personality... Yeah, you're right, he's lost. <laughs> but one, one of the things that's interesting about Trump... that I saw the people place themselves on a spectrum, um, a left-right spectrum, and then they place the parties and individual candidates. And uh, they place Trump to the left of the Republicans whereas we think of him as to the right of it. So he, he, his appeal to people, which we understand as being, you know, he's sort of right-wing telling it as it is, know that his appeal is that he's a very successful person who's the voice of business. And, and basically, if anyone ever again says that what we really need in politics is a businessman, right? <laughs> I think Donald Trump is the answer. <laughs> Jenny, you were also um, reporting that uh, Sky News aren't getting the comments from uh, 
the leaders, uh, or from Theresa May, they're being slightly kept out of the loop for the live interviews because they're having a spat with Adam Bolton yeah. over what he said when Theresa May announced that she was having the election. That they knew there was going to be a press conference and they didn't know why. Adam Bolton suggested that she was possibly going to be ill and her chief of staff had taken that badly. So now, Not only taken it badly, but texted him... And there was obviously some unwritten rule that although the text didn't say, do you not say this on air, um, Adam Bolton actually read it out, which was, bunter, you're talking tosh. Um, at much to the annoyance of um, Fiona Hill. Although I think she was quite pleased that if he did read it out, she'd called him bunter. <laughs> and he had to read that bit out too. But Prime Ministers on the whole don't look well, do they? I mean, that, that is just sort of a given. Tony Blair sort of aged in dog years whilst he was there. <laughs> there was that moment where you thought his hind legs were going to go towards the end. And, and then David Cameron playing frisbee on the beach, I mean, with his top off. It looked, it, it looked like he was on his fourth frisbee and he'd swallowed the other three or something like that. I'm not going to make fun of anybody for how bad they look with their top off. That's all. I work for John Major and it's an amazing thing to go and visit him now compared to what it was like when, you, when he was actually in Downing Street. And in Downing Street, we were always kind of, you know, we didn't have a majority. We were 25 points behind Tony Blair. Nothing we did would go right. Even the chicken was thinking of defecting to the Labour Party. And um, now you visit John, he's incredibly relaxed. He's very genial. He's not, you know, the, the cares of the world are off his shoulders. It's an amazing experience. That's Different. not happened to Tony Blair yet, though, has it? Well, yeah, Why I think it has a bit, actually. Do you? Yeah. Well, I didn't, know him, so I, don't, I didn't know him when he was in office, so... He but, wants the cares back, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he does, though, yeah. So in terms of Theresa May, she said she wasn't going to do the TV debates and she said she wanted to get out and meet the voters. That's what she wanted to do. And then she got out and conspicuously avoided the voters. (laughs) Uh, So she's not good at debates. She's not good at meeting the voters. She was Home Secretary for six years and didn't meet any of the immigration targets that were there. Uh, You question what exactly is she good at? Well, she seems quite good at going on the one show, doesn't doesn't she, with Philip... And um, wearing lovely things and, you know, letting him appear like a normal, a normal spouse. So well, I mean, on, the, 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 as Home Secretary, I think she was really good on the police. I mean, immigration was more difficult. But I had a lot of, there were a lot of sort of civil liberties issues and issues of police conduct, which were important to me. And I always thought she was good at those. But, I mean, and so I thought, I think actually she had, she had good record in a lot of different areas of the same secretary. But one of the most things that people say as a compliment about it is that she works long hours. She's hard working. But I mean, I'm guessing that chicken during the election worked long hours (laughs) doesn't mean that they should be running the country. She she isn't a people person, is she? I think working Um, long hours is the least you can expect of what's supposed to be the most powerful person in the country. I would, but I would like to It's an interesting thing, this thing about getting out and meeting the voters, because one of the things that politicians who become leaders of parties, they want to run the, run the campaigns they've always run. So John wanted to be on the soapbox, even though that was really impractical and it meant everybody got sort of virtually mobbed every time he tried to do it. You know, and William liked to speak and do big speeches, which weren't always necessarily appropriate for the, uh, for the news and all that. And Theresa likes to knock on doors. And actually, that's not actually a very televisual thing. So one of the things you try to do as an advisor is to tell them you can't do what you always do. Now you're leader of the party. You have to you know, campaign differently. I don't blame her for not doing the debates because the debate format is awful but, and I wouldn't want to do it. But this, this idea that she, she isn't a people person. She's not good with people, is she? I mean, she was asked about why do nurses use food banks and she said, oh, there, there are many complex reasons why people use food banks. They're not complex, are they? They're poor and they're hungry. You can't imagine anybody's <laughs> ever gone to a food bank and gone, 
you know, somebody said, oh, can I help you? And they've just gone, I'm just browsing, you know. <laughs> Ed, let's move on. You talked about people with their top off and you weren't going to abuse people for pasty bodies. You, you had your, your top off various times on your road to Mandalay, now all available on, on iPlayer. Um, this was your trip with Dara yeah. sort of through Thailand and... Malaysia, and, Thailand and Myanmar. Yeah, and ending up in, in Mandalay, this road to Mandalay, you were saying actually Mandalay, uh, quite a disappointing place. The, the journey better than the destination. Without a doubt. And uh, when we finished filming at 10 o'clock, there was literally nowhere to even get food at that hour of the night. We sat and ate crisps and looked out and at the... Uh, I, I was thinking of the... The um, you know, do you know the way? Final to... rap party. Yeah, sounds <laughs> sounds great. But the, 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 although, if, the... if anybody covering that for like you know the Telegraph would be like you know we 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 quaffed water and guzzled Pringles yeah. on the license payers' expense. Unless you're Jeremy Clarkson, <laughs> and then you just thump your producer. Yeah, yeah there was no violence. There was no violence. <laughs> but to you, it was a personal yeah. pilgrimage for you in some ways because you got to um, you'd done some work campaigning yeah. for the Moustache Brothers, yeah, um, uh, who were locked up in Burma, yeah. and. Uh, they'd been released and you got a chance to go and see them live now I myself I'd done some campaigning for Amnesty to release Zargonar and uh, Zargonar obviously got released as well I noticed the Moustache Brothers actually doing some of Zargonar's material on the road to Mandalay so I was wondering how how you felt about that and whether whether we should be locking the Moustache Brothers up again (laughs) for Nick and Jokes are you absolutely sure that Zargonar originated the material I'm pretty certain he did yeah Uh, well I think it's the least of their worries. I've got to say, <laughs> they had literally two lines of political humour in the entire show, and the rest of it was dancing and jumping about and wearing moustaches and pretending to smoke cigars and things like that. A, a man who lives his act from satire. looking at him on the television, he's, not only is he a moustache brother on stage, he's a moustache brother the entire time. It just, and just, but even just some of the references to the Stasi just feels a little dated. <laughs> I don't know, there was just something about it. It, they were pre- performing the same act that they did back in the back in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, have you ever? Have you, has anybody watched the Young Ones recently? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of. It's more of an historical artifact than a piece of entertainment. I find. But, but you, you're, you're, you know, travel is something that you enjoy. You're a yeah. bit of an outdoorsy type. You are. Well, co- you and I went through Siberia together, we doing did. world's we, most we, dangerous roads. We always roads. have that, don't we? They always say, you know, do we have Paris? You and I don't have Paris. We always have Ust, Ust nearer. Ust nearer. <laughs> yeah. That's probably uh, near where my dad was in prison. Well, really, <laughs> it was, we, 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 we had to travel the road of bones, and uh, so and we, Ed and I always get to say, people go, "What's the coldest you've ever been in?" And we can people go, oh, "Minus 30. Ed and I were in, in a tent in minus fifty two. Yeah, God. and we were told not to piss, weren't we? Not to piss outside. But if we had to go for a piss outside, it was so cold it could freeze the piss back onto your knob. Um, <laughs> so we were told to shake it around a bit to make make sure that that didn't happen. Yeah. So and my dad was my dad was in a prison village in on the corner of on the edge of Siberia and so he basically was one winter but then Hitler invaded uh, the Soviet Union so he didn't have to spend a second winter which probably would have been fatal I would think and have you it's have you been out there as- no I mean I think that my parents always felt with these things that they'd been so I didn't have to yeah you know what's called <laughs> you know what's called when the cows wear bras that's uh, that's a uh, we, the, the cows actually do wear bras in Siberia. That was with yeah, they my, with wear, my... like udder warmers to keep them <laughs> to keep the, stop the milk from freezing on the cow. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's there's a frappuccino. So what and did you there's... wear? <laughs> <laughs> when when Ronald Reagan decided that you know he was going to Bitburg to the SS cemetery, and um, then they decided that they 
because it was SS Cemetery, you ought to visit Belson as well, basically. And um, I, I heard this on the radio, and I went down. I said, oh, you never guess what, Mum. Uh, Ronald Reagan's visiting Belson. And mom, without turning around, my mum said, so what, I've been. <laughs> <laughs> you, you obviously, had, in terms of you're very keen to do some climbing, you've mm. been um, trying to climb the Munros in Scotland. That's correct. All of the peaks over 3,000 feet. It's now, about, I've yeah. never quite understood this... Uh, I'm climbing them because they're there sort of thing. You know, I always think, well, why don't you imagine that they're not there? Or, <laughs> I'm going to climb every peak in Britain over 4,500 feet. Oh, there's none of them. I'll be able to stay at home and have a cup of tea. <laughs> Congratulations on completing that round. Thank you very much. Of 4,500 feet mountains. Um, I don't know why I do it. And it's because I get asked that question a lot. When did you get into hill walking? And you get a lot of time to contemplate it as you walk up the hills. And I have yet to come up with a cohesive and reasonable or even catchy answer. I should just make one up. I should make one up that's not even true and just claim that well, it's you, the you could you could argue that it's a chance to do good deeds because there was a wonderful thing on the BBC News website Ed Byrne rescues hill walker um, this was this was a, a few months ago it, it's not quite the story when this man the guy a man hurt his knee uh, yeah. a man who had overpacked ladies and gentlemen he was carrying too much gear his leg went into a hole and he twisted his knee and he couldn't really walk very well anymore and what, there were two bits of the story I really enjoyed the first bit I really enjoyed was you asked him are you okay and he said, I'm fine. You went on for a bit, and then he decided that he wasn't fine, and he caught you up. Now, (laughs) if a man with a twisted knee catches you up... Yeah, we stopped for a bit. Actually, no, we went the wrong way. That's right, we tried to get across the river at a place where you couldn't cross the river in winter. You could only cross the river in summer at that crossing. So we had to turn back. So that's how we caught. And then also we went up the river and then down again. So we were on the other side of the river when he called to us. And myself and my companion, it was a, I was out there with a, 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 an outdoor writer called um, Phoebe Smith. When we saw him and he waved, we both just went, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he's going he's, he's gonna to ask for help, isn't he? And so we, we, so we, gave, we gave our help willingly. You did, um, but we were, we, I think we were racing the night. We, were, we, were, we wanted to get back to a certain point on the walk before dark, and we now weren't going to get there before dark. And you, you, we were, you, were, you were very sweet. You gave him your poles. And you, I gave him the walking poles. I took his big, heavy backpack. I gave him my light-as-a-feather pack, and, and we, we walked him out. And then I tweeted about it, and then the BBC Highlands and Islands website wanted to talk to me about it, so I spoke to them. But then it went everywhere, and it was all of it. It was the mirror, and, and the sun, and all that was Ed Burden saves Walker. Everyone had a, had a thing on it, except for the Express, which said, EU migrant steals backpack from stricken hiker. And then people are giving out to me. For like, you didn't really save the guy, you just carried his back. That's all I said I did! <laughs> Well, the, 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 the report I read, it just said Ed Byrne took this guy's backpack and then made him carry his <laughs> backpack. There was, there was no mention of the relative weights. No, he was carrying, he was carrying like a bag of coal. And he, I didn't even realise until we dropped him off. He had like four litres of water on him. There's streams coming off the mountain everywhere. There's, there's beautiful, cl- crystal clear water. Scottish, good Scottish clear water. Maybe a little bit of sheep shit. But, <laughs> oh, and he's carrying bottles of Evian in with him. It was a tool. Should have left him there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope he's not listening to this.
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Before we go to questions, let me just tell you about who we've got coming up June the 26th. We've got Peter Hain, one of your fellow lords, will be, will be here. Peter Hain, ex-minister, anti-apartheid campaigner. He'll be here with Catherine Bennett from The Observer and Lucy Porter. And then in July, we've got Clive Lewis, uh, currently the MP for Norwich South. Also got Miranda Sawyer and we've got Glenwall. And we will, if anybody's interested, we'll be at the Latitude Festival where we've got uh, Sophie Walker, who's the leader of the Women's Equality Party. And we've got Maya Foa from Reprieve and Indian from the Sunday Times so if you get a chance to come along to some of those that would be great anybody listening on the podcast um, please get in contact andyparsons.co.uk if you would like to so we're hoping that our Slacktivist Action Group will manage to answer a question or two Hello, um, thank you I, I don't know whether it's symbolic but we've just sat and had about well, maybe half an hour on politics and then ten minutes on the mountain. Um, but one of the political party leaders hasn't even been mentioned, I don't think. Um, Holt Jezza. I just wondered if anybody had a view on him. He's quite, he's quite a difficult person to work out. I'd, one, I remember was sitting in the Commons and my eyes were sort of distracted by a sight behind me. And I said to my friend, I'm really sorry, but I've just seen the leader of the, Her Majesty's Opposition walk by you with a large box of oranges. Now, there's an element of him that's kind of like wants to be on his allotment rather than be leader of the party. Uh, you know, but on the other hand, he's also, you know, was on his third wife having divorced two for political reasons. In other words, he's also quite, I mean, seriously, he has. Um, because he's quite, you know, because he's kind of incredibly focused and political. So working out who the real Jeremy Corbyn is, I think, is quite difficult. Jane? Well, one thing I would say is that the manifesto that they came up with you know what what would be the point of having Jeremy Corbyn sort of come up and be the 
left wing sort of come from the left with all these ideas without having you know all the things you most want so yeah bring back you know get rid of tuition fees all these things that actually people didn't really want in the first place and you know this stuff i do get it about well how much is it going to cost but honest to god every single every single commentator probably even in the guardian was like doesn't you know how much is it going to cost it's just the labor party don't really know how much things cost and lo the week after the Tories come out the same thing. There's not a cost in it. So I sort of think, actually, he had, it's true, Danny. It wasn't the most costly to manifesto they've ever done. So and actually, the cost has changed recently. Whatever, <laughs> whatever you think about Corwin as a leader, and I know, you know, he doesn't make the most leader-like uh, leader mm. we've ever had. He's not particularly good with the media. In fact, he's not any good with the media, I would argue. Um, but you know what, that manifesto, there was quite a lot that was really interesting. And if you're going to vote for something different, you know, we moaned, and you remember the whole thing about 2015 was what's the difference? Miliband's on one hand, Cameroon's on the other. They were all a bit the same. They all went to the same school, they all went to the same college. And then you've got someone who's so different with a manifesto that's so, so different. But that's great. That's great for politics. Did you have anything you wanted to add? Um, I feel that no matter what misgivings I might have about how, you know, his, his lack of maybe media savvy and things like that, I feel like any time you say anything that criticises him, it feels like you're joining a media pylon. I think the, the manner in which he's been treated by the media is grossly unfair. I, you know, so I, I, I don't like to he's join in gr- with that. I, I do have to say... It doesn't matter what you say about him, you'll offend people. I discovered this just on the show I was on on Sunday night. I made a, an offhand comment, just a glib comment. We were talking about people that had tattoos of Aung San Suu Kyi, the uh, Burmese leader, the now the leader of Myanmar, and I just remarked on who, what British politician would people get a tattoo of? Yes, maybe Churchill. And then I just said, I bet you'll see some Corbyn tattoos before the year is out. And I got attacked by people saying, typical anti-Corbyn bias from the BBC and typical left-wing bias from the BBC. So it really doesn't matter what you say, it seems. But it, 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 I suppose in some ways the, the reason that people feel they can have a go at him because the poll ratings aren't good, he's been described as political Marmite, hasn't he? And you're thinking, well, you know, arguably that's a bit harsh on Marmite. You know, <laughs> if, if you imagine that 50% of the British population love Marmite, 50% hate it... Jeremy Corbyn would kill for those sort of popularity <laughs> my, my, my favourite opinion poll demonstrated that Marmite isn't like Marmite. Most people are indifferent to Marmite. No. Yes. Opinion, it was a very good opinion poll. It shows that people aren't split on Marmite one way or the other. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here. <laughs> yeah. I'm, re- I'm reminded of a great Mitch Hedberg joke. I was in a band when I was at college. People either loved us or hated us. Oh, I thought we were okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. So let's, let's see if we can get one more question and then we'll, we'll wrap up finally. Is there anybody else who's now been inspired by that first question? Here we go. Yes, please. Is there actually anyone worth voting for? <laughs> Danny. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm like in a really lucky position. I can't vote because I'm in the House of Lords and you're not allowed to vote, so I don't have to answer that question. That's my way out of it, no. Seriously, look, I, I, I actually... I mean, I, I think I do agree that there's a real choice, uh, and I think that Jeremy Corbyn does represent a real strand of opinion. It doesn't happen to be mine. I, in fact, you know, further than that, I think, I think it's quite dangerous and unrealistic. But, um, but I would, you know, because that's my politics. Uh, and I, I certainly wouldn't... Uh, that's, my problem with him isn't that he's sort of useless or not worthy. I think he does, re- you know, 
one of the things you have to say about him is he managed to win the leadership of the Labour Party from that position. That's quite an impressive feat, actually. Um, uh, you know, twice, yeah. Uh, so uh, in, in that way, I don't, that's not my problem with him. My problem with him is that I don't agree with... I don't think that form of socialism is practical and would be a very good idea, but then... And I would say that. I'm going to say a really sort of, you know, journalistic, unbiased thing, which is I think it's always someone worth voting for. I don't believe in that. I had, weirdly, the last time I went to the hairdressers, had this massive row with the hairdresser who said he was going to spoil his ballot paper again because there's no one to vote for. And it's such a, I think that's a terrible cop-out. I think you've got to vote in your, whatever the, your constituency is, I think, whatever you believe in. You know, there's always going to be a reason. It's always going to be someone. Well, to we, we always try and get people to actually do something in between the shows. Um, and obviously, we would encourage you between now and the next show to go out and vote. But as we now know, <laughs> you, not only can you vote, you can also spoil your ballot paper and vote at the same time. <laughs> so that's what we'll encourage you to do. I think you all should. I think it's very important to vote. I think people died for the right to be able to do it. I think it's very depressing, depending on where you live. I know that my own constituency, he said, like a politician. I know that I've spoken to my constituents. And, um, no, we're talking about but, in Ireland, are we no, now, no, Ed? My, my constituency, where I live, yes. one of the safest Tory seats in the country, like he was elected with 20,000 votes. The next candidate was the UKIP candidate with 6,000 votes. I may as well take my vote and throw it in the sea where I'm living and that can make you feel very impotent and very frustrated what I think we should be pushing for is voting reform I've just come back from New Zealand where they have a system where they have a list system where as well as when you vote for your your local constituent politician how many votes every party gets also counts towards a small proportion of MPs who who just based on on the sheer number of votes cast across the country for that party Uh, an argument against making voting more democratic as well then marginal parties like UKIP will get in and Green Party will get in they're like well fair fair enough I don't like UKIP but they got a lot of votes and they should be more represented versus say the SNP who I do like compared to how many votes they have and And I think we should be pushing to make our our system some people like the smell of UKIP anyway don't they so you know that that fragrance is coming (laughs) off the shelves so so good. Thank you very much for, for coming along tonight, ladies and gentlemen. For those people who are listening on the podcast, please subscribe. It is the slacktivist thing to do. You don't have to download it. You don't have to click twice. If you could spread the word, that'd be great about what's coming up. Um, we'd like to thank our guests, obviously. We have hardly mentioned Donald Trump this month for the first time ever, possibly with good reason. He's over in uh, the Middle East at the moment talking about uh, various things, but not mentioning human rights at all, which is probably not surprising given that he's the man who uh, said recently that torture definitely works, even though his defence secretary, Mad Dog Mattis, said torture definitely doesn't work. And you're thinking if he was called Mad Dog before he was working for Trump, what sort of dog will he be like after... He'll be rabid, won't he? He'll be like a dog who's eaten a tub of deep heat and then licked his own testicles, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Thank you very much to our guests tonight. Would you please give it up for Danny Finkelstein, Jane Martinson and Ed Byrne. Hopefully see you next time. Thank you very much.